Hello and welcome back to another episode of Play Sheet Podcast. I'm Charles and as quite often joined by my good friend Joe. Good to see you Charles. So Joe, quite a lot of upsets this week. It was a bit of an unusual week for the NFL. Let's jump in um, because I know there are quite a few games that we want to discuss and talk about and the impacts that they have on the standings and games to come. So let's kick off with the Bengals and the Baltimore Ravens. Having seen the Ravens absolutely demolish the Chargers the week before, very good team, to see the Bengals do the exact same to the Ravens was certainly in my eyes an upset, Joe. Where did you have it? It was an upset. It was, it was a statement win. It was a statement win against a team who had done a statement win, like you rightly said, the week before. Until this point, I think that a lot of people still had questions about the Bengals, and people will probably still have questions going forward. But people had questions about the Bengals in terms of had they beat any good teams? Were they a team slightly like the Denver Broncos or Carolina Panthers who had an inflated record going against teams who perhaps weren't as strong? They kind of blew a lot of that out of the water with this week's performance. Absolutely. And I think the thing that surprised me was we saw last week the Ravens had a lot of success with the run game. We talked about their their veteran runners that helped them a lot to get them over the line, but they just didn't seem to be firing for the Ravens at all. Do you see it as a breakdown on the Ravens part you know did, was there something not clicking for them there that was the week before or did the Bengals come with a game plan and articulate it well? well there's a couple of things here you mentioned about the rushing attack perhaps not being as potent as last week yes that's true but that's also down to game script quite a fair bit for most of the game the Ravens were behind and they were chasing the game so it's understandable that we perhaps weren't seeing as much out of Freeman Bell and the rest so let's park that for a minute on the offensive side of the ball, because you know this is a team that gave up 41 points, so there's something wrong with the defense. But let's leave, let's park it for one minute. On the offensive side of the ball, Marquise Brown had the most targets, 14 targets. He corralled in only five of them. What we saw is an Achilles heel, which I think people have perhaps surmised and suggested was there, but it really came to the fore. In that the Ravens don't have at the minute an elite wide receiver in the mold that you know a Julio Jones, a Devante Adams. A player like that who you can just throw the ball up and they're going to bring it down. They don't have that. Rashad Bateman, who knows? He might eventually grow into that. But compare the leading receivers on each team. Jamar Chase, eight receptions on 10 targets, 201 yards. I mean, this was a this was a career day in this young man's young career. Marquise Brown, like I said, five receptions on 14 targets, 80 yards. He got a touchdown. But there's a vast difference between the quality of wide receiver leading each team. And what about the Bengals then? Because obviously this Ravens team has proven themselves to be a good team so far this season. Do you think that this helps to solidify the Bengals as genuine contenders? Or do you think they got lucky this game? Was there anything that you were impressed by? What was your view on them? I don't think you can call it luck when a team blows out a team 41-17. I think that the... Biggest takeaway that I would be positive about if I was a fan was the professionalism of a win. We've seen so many times through the years, especially during the last kind of 10 years, just, you know, the Cincinnati bungles, ways that they can lose teams, ways that they can make mistakes, ways that they screw things up. This was a professional performance. Now, don't get me wrong, Joe Burrow, 416 yards. That stat line is padded by the performance that Jamar Chase kind of put in there. But Joe Burrow had a professional game. He made the passes he had to. He didn't make mistakes per se he had an inception but 
it was relatively free of mistakes. And yeah, he still can't slide, but that's something he's got to work on. The running game was very, very balanced. This is no longer a team that Joe Mixon is the workhorse for. It was almost a 50-50 split between him and Sam Ashbarine, and they had almost equal yardage, but both guys stepped up. And then on the receiving side, you know, CJ Uzuma, guys who play fantasy, he's probably the ultimate boom or bust player right now. T Higgins, perhaps we can maybe say he was a little bit wasteful, crowding less than half of his targets. But on the whole, this was a professional performance from what I would say, though, is a small group of offensive players. There were only five players who were targeted in the passing game. Uh, Joe Burrow threw the ball 38 times, but only five players were targeted. It's just something to be aware of. I just want to surmise it here by saying that people have to take the Bengals seriously. This was a statement win. And people who just wanted to group them in that overachieving playing weak teams, you've got to take them out of that now. The Ravens, though, where does this leave them? We've, we've, I feel like we've seen the best of them, the worst of them. Are they doomed to have another playoff heartbreak this year? Is, is that the ceiling for this team? <laughs> it's such a good question because I feel like my head's in the blender for this one. Because last year, I went in very hot on the Ravens. I thought that they had all the pieces that they need to make a very late playoff run. And they were a first-round exit to the Browns. This year, pre-season, before the injuries kicked in, again, I felt quite buzzing on the, on the Ravens but there was a little bit more of me you know I'd learnt my lesson I'd been burnt before but then when the injuries started coming in I thought well do you know what you've really got to downgrade this Ravens team but they had grit they hung in there they bought the vets in from a running back perspective which we've spoken about and although they haven't been as defensively hot as they were last year and the year before they're certainly a middling team but then you have the game against the Chargers and you think wow these are a different team this year. And then you have this game against the Bengals and you suddenly go, oh, or are they? And the Bengals, as you've rightly said, you you have to take them seriously now. They're a proper team that have beaten some decent competition. But these are the type of teams that you're going to have to beat in the playoffs if you want to go far. And so I think that the first part of this season, the Ravens started to answer some criticism that had been put upon them whereas now part of me thinks that they may unfortunately be doomed to be a one or two and out team in, in the playoffs because I think unless you can consistently beat teams like the Bengals I think you're going to struggle but it is just one game so let's see where they go from here I suppose. It's so interesting the whole AFC North so much upheaval so many of the narratives that we've seen over the last 10 years are being challenged and overturned right now. I definitely feel that it, with maybe the AFC West, it's the most interesting division in football. I'd be very interested to see how that plays out for the rest of the season. Yeah, and then two teams that perhaps people aren't speaking about quite so much this season are the New England Patriots and the New York Jets. It was another win for the Patriots this week. Jets continue their bad luck form or, or at least bad form and with that in mind Joe what are your thoughts on Salah and his position with the Jets? So I find it a little bit interesting really in that the Jets for me personally haven't moved on in any way shape or form from last season. Now I know that you don't create a Super Bowl team overnight you don't change a 1-15 team into even an 8-8 team in a season Look how long it took the Browns to get where they are now. There were a lot of bad, 
poor football seasons to get to what was first of all an 8-8 team and then a winning team last year. So things take time. But already we've had a lot of criticism of some of the other coaches in the leagues. David Cully is a name that I've heard one and done in terms of his head coaching career for this year. I've heard that on David Cully. I've heard it on Dan Campbell for the Lions. I've heard it on Nick Sirianni and I've heard it on Urban Meyer. Basically, Brandon Staley is doing well at the Chargers, so no one's talking about it like that. And Arthur Smith seems to be given a bit of time and consideration at the Falcons as well. Every other head coach, aside from Robert Sala, is basically almost on the hot seat already. And fans are already kind of saying, you know, they won't be around next season. This is a one-and-done thing. Which is probably, for most cases, outside of Meyer and maybe Campbell and exaggeration. But there's already a talk. Robert Sala seems to have a little bit of a free pass right now. Now... He came in extremely respected from a San Francisco 49ers. But you look at this Jets team and you look at what they are now. Salah, let's not forget, was a defensive coordinator. The Jets didn't ship 54 points in any games last season. They didn't ship 50 points in any games last season. They shipped 45. The most points they shipped in a game last season was 40 points. And that was against the Seahawks in week 14. So this is two touchdowns worse as a defensive performance in any game they played last year and they weren't playing against you know the Kansas City Chiefs they weren't playing against the Chargers they weren't playing against a high-powered offensive suite they're playing against the Patriots who you know the Patriots aren't terrible but they're definitely not the Patriots of a few years ago I mean not what you'd say is probably a high-powered offense so I'm looking at the results I'm looking at what the Jets have achieved I'm looking at where this football team is and Although I wouldn't expect to see them be, you know, hugely different, I don't see many differences at all from last season. I, I don't see any progression whatsoever looking at them right now. So I've been following the NFL now for about four years. And in all that time, I've never seen the Jets been good. I've seen teams come and go and we've seen kind of fortunes ebb and flow. But for me, the Jets have been trash eternal. Obviously, you have a bigger kind of cycle to draw from. Is this unusual for a team to show no marked improvement over a period of four years? Is it just down to bad management or is there something more problematic at play here? Is this really quite unusual for the NFL or do you see it from time to time? I think there's historically been lengths of times where most teams have been bad. And by bad, I'm saying, you know, have had a 4-12 season, have had a 5-11 season and, and, and maintained that for a couple of years. But to be this bad, don't forget, we're only two years out of the Jets being 7-9. I think that was in Donald's first season, was it? 2019? With the Jets for 7-9? And they managed the lofty heights of third in the AFC East. But... 2022 wins, 2018 four wins, 2017 five wins, 2016 five wins. You got to go all the way back to 2015 when we had a 10 win season, but that was still sandwiched by a four win season the year before that. But not any had any kind of consistency above 0.500 since about the Rex Ryan years of like you know late noughties to early 20 teens. It's been a while they've been this bad, but it isn't progression. And what kind of makes this even more uh, perhaps maybe irking for fans of the Jets? The Bills are good, but the Patriots aren't what they were. The Dolphins haven't really pushed on from a promise that they showed last year. They're not in a particularly strong division at all. You you take the Bills out and there's two teams in there that are probably struggling to get to 0.500. Maybe the Patriots are improving a little bit now, but 0.500 really is the average between the other two teams. And they're not progressing at all whatsoever. Now, 
Salah has had the quarterback he wanted. He had the opportunity to keep Darnold and trade that second pick down for whatever else he wanted to do with it in a draft this year. But no, he went with Wilson. He got his man. That's his man now. Whatever happens, that's his man. That was his pick. And all right, we wouldn't expect Wilson to be a superstar overnight. But he seems to regress from what we saw in preseason. And he hasn't really pushed on in any shape or form in the first half of this season. This just doesn't seem to be a team that's going anywhere. Yeah, and look, I'm sure we'll get on to this when we uh, start previewing some of the games from next week. But the other thing that must be really tough to take as a Jets fan is when you see players like Darnold move on and they've traded other players as well to other teams that have gone on to actually show that they have genuine talent and talent that they just didn't even show an inkling of when they were playing for the Jets. And, you know, we'll talk about Donald in a bit and there's maybe some regression to discuss there, but it feels like getting talent isn't necessarily the issue for the Jets. It's what they do with that talent, how they use that talent and how they structure it. And it seems like they haven't figured out the winning formula for that for a number of years and I, I think you're right, you know, that should be putting pressure on Salah that, quite frankly, I'm not hearing in the media. I'm not necessarily hearing amongst the fan base of the NFL. No one's really calling for it in the same way that they are Myers or Nagy. But you do have to look at that team and say it is going nowhere currently. And you've had your pick of, of who you wanted. Why is there not more urgency here in, in terms of writing the ship? And I'm not saying that there should be pressure on him. I'm not saying that at all. What I'm just saying here is about consistency. Salah seems to be getting a pass right now. And in terms of people who I think need to be putting in a better performance as first-year coaches, Salah was a defensive guy. And when you look at this Jets team and you say, hey, what is the character of this Jets team? What are they fundamentally about? What is their style of play? There's been no way of knowing... Or, or no way of even demonstrating a style of play for this Jets team. Because their style of play for the last, let's call it since 2015, their style of play since 2015 has been chasing games. Has been, mm, we've got to air the ball out quite a bit and we've got to throw some interceptions now because we're so far behind. And that's been their style of play for five, six years. Salah, as a defensive coordinator, should have came in and shored up this defence. And that's what you would have expected him to do. But they're shipping more points than they were last season. And... I'm disappointed that we haven't seen a little bit more on the defensive side of the ball for the Jets yet. Take away what I said about, you know, Wilson being Salah's guy. The real expectation shouldn't be too high for Wilson. He's a first-year quarterback. We should expect to see the coach impose some defensive organisation in this team. And he's just not done that. Do you know what? I think that's such a good point. The tendency as a fan is to look to how can they score more points. And sometimes, especially when you're talking about Salah and his defensive background, the obvious solution there or, or certainly a place to start looking at is how do we change things on the defensive end so that we're not always chasing, but they haven't got that right yet. And hey, you know, maybe they'll have another deliciously high draft pick at the end of this season to pick up somebody to help them out on that front. I can't see them not having a deliciously high pick, Charles. Their run gets a little bit easier from about week 11. Now, we've got a hard run coming up. We've got Bengals, Colts and Bills for the next three games. Ouch. Yeah, Vegas and me will be going 0-3 and three for the Jets in the next three games. Let's just be realistic about it. Then they have Dolphins, Texans, Eagles, Saints, Dolphins, Jaguars. Now, there's six games there where, let's part the Saints aside, but, you know, Dolphins haven't been great. Texans haven't been great. 
Eagles haven't been great. And you've got the Dolphins twice, and you've got the Jags. They can win games there, but it's not about the winning. I just want to see a Jets team that's not giving up 25 points every single game. I'd like to see them hold teams to two scores, to go a half without giving up a touchdown. That's what we need to see, I think, in those weeks. And if we don't, then I think that there really does need to be some questions about Robert Salah and what he's doing with his defence. Hmm. Okay, then. So talking about teams and, and defence, why don't we shift on over to the Chiefs and the Tennessee Titans? Another big performance from the Titans and another killing of the Kansas City Chiefs. Do you think that at this stage in the season, Joe, the Chiefs need to be reaching for those panic buttons? Does something need to change quickly if they want to stand a chance of going back to the playoffs this season? I think something needs to change very quickly on the defensive side of the ball. That's without a doubt. The defense is terrible right now. It's terrible. And then to combine with that as well, the offensive line just isn't giving Patrick Mahomes enough. And there's only so much that he can do. The offense isn't the problem with his Chiefs team. And I'm just going to back that up with stats real quickly for you. So in terms of points per game, in terms of points per game, the Chiefs are averaging... Uh, so far in 2021, just shy of 26 points. They're averaging 25.9 points per game in 2021. Between 19 and 2020, you know, they're two Super Bowl years, they're averaging 27 points per game. So a point per game less, but that's hardly here nor there. Mahomes is having to work a lot harder to get those points. He's running around a lot more. I'd, I'd love to know how much Mahomes is traveling behind his line each game. But ultimately, offensively, they're achieving about the same. In terms of points allowed... In those two Super Bowl years, 19 and 2020, they were averaging 20.4 points allowed per game. This season, in 2021, they're averaging a full touchdown more, 27.1 points allowed per game. The defense is the problem with this team. And you look at some more kind of simpler stats. At the minute, they're 32nd in EPA per drive. They're 32nd in success rate of offenses against them in the red zone. And they're 27th in points allowed. The Chiefs are giving up far too many points. And a lot of this falls on Andy Reid's door. Because a lot of the big trades they've done, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at you, Frank Clark, a lot of the big trades they've done this year and over the last few seasons have been in to bring in defensive players and the picks they've given up for them haven't really been worth the return. The thing that I find strange, and uh, you know, in fairness to yourself, you called it out pretty early. You identified that this Chiefs defence wasn't the defence that we've seen of, uh, of seasons past. But whoa, whoa, whoa. You're saying of seasons past as if they were a good defence in seasons past. They were a average defense in seasons past i'd probably say um, yeah fair fair their defensive backs were very sticky last season there were some good performances from players like breland from Sorensen, but as a unit on the whole it weren't like they were a leading defense in the league and i think this is the thing because i think you look at some of the names on their roster and you think actually that's not a bad defense but it's not having the same effect that it did have last year and sure we're talking average to now poor but this is a defense that is leaking points at times and it's funny because it used to be certainly we saw a lot of teams trying to beat the Chiefs last season by trying to keep the ball out of Mahomes's hands and whilst that strategy may not necessarily have changed I think 
teams are starting less now to go, well, look, let's just keep the ball. Let's run with it. Let's keep it out of Mahomes' hands to actually we can score against this Chiefs team and we can actually score quite a lot. So let's see how much we can score. And it would have been almost unheard of last season to score more than the Chiefs. But this season that's happening quite a few times. Yeah, and that's very interesting what you say about keeping the ball out of Patrick Mahomes' hands. Because a team like the Titans beating the Chiefs 27-3, if you just saw that scoreline this week and didn't know how that game had played out, you'd be, oh yeah, that must have been a 200-yard game for Derek Henry. He must have ran the whole game, kept the ball out of Mahomes' hands, blah, blah, blah. Yes, Henry had 29 carries. That's quite a lot for a running back, but he only made 86 yards. Tannehill was 270 yards. This Tennessee offense passed the ball. They weren't too concerned about running the clock down that much. They could just play their game and they could play a quite balanced offense against the Chiefs. Mahomes had plenty of chances. He had 35 attempts. It wasn't like he didn't get the ball and didn't have that many drives. But opposing defenses have a blueprint. That blueprint we saw in Super Bowl uh, 55 last year of just that offensive line isn't all that and you can get to him. This Kansas City Chiefs right now, they look vulnerable. I read something this week, Joe, and it'd be interesting to get your view on it. It was one of the fans doing a piece about Mahomes and actually talking about how he is so used to escaping the pocket, pulling out miracle plays, extending it, getting the ball into somebody's hands, that their view is this season, he's actually starting to pass up on some wide open, easy, short yardage plays, and he's trying to extend it, look for the long hero play and more frequently than not, not make it. And their view is that that was the difference in certainly Mahomes this season. Do you think there's any truth in that? I know that a lot of their issues is a defensive element, but have you seen elements of that in Mahomes' style of play this season? It's an interesting hypothesis, but again, it's based on quite a subjective thing. It's someone making a judgment on what's going on in Patrick Mahomes' mind, but it's interesting. What I would say is, yeah, there, there, there have definitely been times where Mahomes has maybe passed up on an easier check down pass where he's gone for the harder throw. Is that because he's so used to making hero throws? I guess when you've had such a high success rate of making low probability throws... You've set yourself a precedent for thinking, I can achieve that. We're, you know, we're 14 points down. We need to score points here. I've made throws like that in the past. I'm pretty sure I can make that throw again. Mm. There's a nuance there in what the article is saying and what the kind of reality may be. What I would add to this is on a podcast last year, I can think of quite a few times where we said how Mahomes was very lucky to not throw an interception where we talked about games where he'd thrown in an interception and there'd been like a spurious penalty that meant the play got called back or he threw an interception and a defensive back then fumbled it or didn't make the catch. There were probably four, maybe five times where Mahomes threw interceptions that for whatever reason didn't become interceptions. We were saying, hey, this game could have been a little bit different or the score could have been a bit different had that interception been held or not been called back. This season, we're seeing things where it's probably not Mahomes' fault that an interception was thrown. For all the jokes about his family members, his girlfriend and mom and whoever kind of blaming the wide receivers for interceptions that have been on Mahomes' stat line, well, yeah, they weren't Mahomes' fault. You shouldn't blame the receivers. You should keep your mouth shut. But we're seeing things 
And this, this always happens in all sports, in the NFL particularly, things balance out. And it seems that this is a season where some of the kind of fortune that Mahomes has had over the last kind of few seasons is swinging back and balancing out this year. And, and again, that's quite a subjective thing to talk about luck balancing out. But it's the rough with the smooth. And he's, he's, he's just having some cookies crumbling the wrong way for him in quite a few games. Now, that wouldn't change these results. And that doesn't change the fact that the defense is trash. But... The stat lines we're seeing from Mahomes, the high interception rate, that's something that won't be sustained through the season. There's a little bit of misfortune to some of that. And then before we move on to talk about some of the games that are coming up this week, Joe, uh, it's probably worth a quick mention, taking a look at the Saints and Seahawks game. For anyone that does follow our predictions online, you can find them on playsheetpodcast.com. But Joe, this was a prediction that you got bang on but it probably wasn't quite the game that you were expecting it to be yeah so we mentioned this on the pod last week and we thought that the abject Seahawks defensive backs wouldn't be able to keep up with Winston's bombs and so that's why I had the Saints winning this game it was kind of the opposite that we saw this week in terms that we saw safety Winston he was doing throwing lots of check down passes to Kamara I think he only completed four passes to wide receivers in the whole game he was making very simple passes, all right for whether had something to do about slippery ball, rainy and windy conditions. But this was a very hard-fought win in a game that I'm quite happy I went to bed at halftime on. And quite interesting because I just don't know what it what it means. The Saints team have a winning record now. I believe they're four and two. Is that right, Charles? Is they four and two? Yeah, four and two. They're four and two. And I'm just speaking kind of from gut here, and this isn't something that I've had a chance to check my facts on and look at. But the Saints, I feel, have surely got to be one of the worst four and two teams, probably one of the worst teams with a winning record. But they are there. They have a four and two record. And judging where the NFC is right now as well, you've got, let's say, five teams who are playoff teams right now. You've got Cards, Packers, Cowboys, Bucks, and Rams. You've got five teams there who are the five playoff teams. There aren't many other NFC teams who are stepping up to the plate. I think that the Saints, again, don't quote me with this, it's just nothing else to spring to mind. Are the Saints the only other NFC team above 0.500? Oh, if they are, what a statement about the NFC, eh? (laughs) I've got my laptop in front of me. Let's just have a little check. Oh, they are. You're absolutely right. I'm looking at it now. They are. (laughs) So they're, as a record stands, the sixth best team in the NFC, which puts them in playoff contention. And it's not like there are many other NFC teams that are really putting their hands up. Like, sure, the Vikings look all right. They've been playing better. They could have a better record, but the Vikings are a free and free team. There's uh, the Carolina Panthers are falling off a cliff. 49ers are a, a non-contention team this year. Seahawks are a non-contention team. There's no one else in the NFC East. The Saints really are probably going to go to playoffs this year, unless they, you know, really start to have a bad run. But... Uh, it's hard to criticise a team too much that are, you know, the sixth best team in the conference, but they strike me as a team who have a record that's probably better than what the team is. Yeah, and let's say at the beginning of the season, would anyone, well, would either one of us have said a Drew Breesless Saints being manned by Jameis Winston without Michael Thomas for the first quarter, well, first half of the season nearly, would go to playoffs? Not on your life. No, no, I, I I certainly didn't believe that. I I thought there was quality in the NFC West. I thought there was quality in the NFC North. And I thought there were other teams that were better in the NFC South. Didn't see these Saints doing that. You know, there's still a lot of football to be played. They can still go on a bad run. They can still go and kind of ruin this first half of the season. But hey, look, they are where they are. 
yeah, it's a bit of a bit of an anomaly, so to speak. Yeah. Well, talking about plenty of football being left to play, let's move on to our previews then of a couple of the games that are coming up um, that are of particular interest to us. And then there are a few more certainly to keep an eye on. But one that I definitely want to talk about is obviously Green Bay against the Cardinals. It was really set up to be... You know, I've not stayed up for many Thursday night games all the way through. This was definitely going to be one that I was staying up for. I really, for me, even though I'm a Green Bay fan, I was very interested to see it in the view of what it says about the Cardinals. This is an unbeaten team so far. They've come up against some tough competition. I thought that the Green Bay, except for the slip up in week one, have shown themselves to be you know, quite strong. They're a team that's been to the conference championships year after year. It, it would have been a real test, I feel. But with all the news that's coming out at the moment around COVID, currently we've got no Devante Adams, no defensive coordinator. We've got no Lazard, who, you know, you might argue is not a massive loss, but it's another wide receiver. And so really, it kind of feels now almost like this is a bit of a foregone conclusion. And if the Cardinals do come away with the win on Thursday, is it going to mean much? Are people just going to write it down as a, well, they played a Green Bay team that didn't have half their players? Yeah, you've said quite a few things there, Charles. So let me just break down a few things you said there. Don't downplay Lazard being uh, absent because in the Green Bay Packers team, it doesn't have Devante Adams in it not having Lazard is a huge loss. It basically leaves you with Randall Cobb and then the other guys. And that's no disrespect to the other guys. Valdez Scantling. Uh, yeah. <laughs> MVS and Tonyan And Tonyan, as we expected, when he's not got the touchdown production that he had last year, he's suddenly back down to earth and back to being a very average tight end. But Randall Cobb, late career Randall Cobb and MVS, uh, it, it is a far weaker receiver room in the absence of... Lazard, so don't downplay that. That's quite a big thing in my personal view. This game, you're right. It's it's totally changed in what it's meant in the last kind of 48 hours since we've recorded this podcast. When you had a fully fit Green Bay team, this was potentially a preview for the NFC Conference game. Now it's a game where it's the Cardinals have basically everything to lose. They win this game, and it's like well, it doesn't really mean much. It's kind of like when the Chiefs beat the Buccaneers in a regular season last year. You've played a version of this team, but you're not going to play the proper version of them until playoffs. That's kind of what this feels like. Green Bay lose. They've got all the excuses. Their coordinator was down with COVID. He's not in the game. That's 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 big enough excuse. Their most important player after Aaron Rodgers wasn't in the game. Big enough excuse. You know, there's plenty of excuses here for Green Bay, and they can lose this game and not really be psychologically damaged by it. The Cardinals have to win this game. Really, to be honest, they have to win this kind of quite comfortably now because this is such a depleted Green Bay team. Yeah, I should add very quickly, Joe, that um, I'd totally forgotten, but Valdez Cantling currently has a hamstring injury and there's no guarantee that he's going to be able to suit up on Thursday either. So that makes things even more desperate. Who you got catching the ball, Charles? You have a Green Bay fan here. Who's, who, who's that leave? Like, we're going quite deep down, down the depth chart here. Like, we've got Randall Cobb. We're going super deep. We've got uh, Equinemius St. Brown, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I think that's it. I think you've got Cobb, St. Brown. Tonyan at tight end. Probably a lot of just sort of offload passes to Jones, I imagine. Jones, yeah, yeah. So, this is a game that's gone from... It's exciting. Let's see who's going to win from this game to... This is a game that the Cardinals should win. 
and should win without kind of problems from Green Bay offense. So it's changed the whole complexion of a game. It's gone from a game of a week to it's hard to get excited about this game now. I'm sorry, but it is. No, I completely agree. And I'm, I'm disappointed. Obviously, I like Green Bay to go into any matchup with an element of competition and, you know, a decent chance that they could win. But it just felt like a real opportunity to see a bit of a preview of what could be a fantastic postseason game, potentially. And unfortunately, as fans, we've just missed out on that. Yeah. Let's just say, though, we're recording this podcast on a Tuesday evening, as always. There is an, an, a very, very small outside chance that Devante Adams tests tomorrow on Wednesday and is negative and then has another negative test on Thursday, in which case he could technically suit up. So I don't think he's been officially ruled out yet. He'll only be ruled out tomorrow if he still has COVID. Yeah, this is absolutely true because I believe that Devante Adams has been vaccinated. He has been vaccinated, yeah. So yeah, he, has. he only needs to prove that he's got two negative tests to suit up again. So that, that opportunity is still there, but that window's closing. From what we've seen from previous players who have had the same thing, it normally takes a week to 10 days to clear out his system and pass a test. Unless he has a, a, a very mild case or perhaps even he triggered a, a test previously and, and didn't actually have it. It was antibodies in his system or something like that, which can happen. Unless something like that happens, it's 99.5% likely that he's out. Yeah. So then let's move on to our last preview of the podcast, Joe. And let's talk about Carolina and Atlanta because... These are two teams that are potentially trending in different directions now, which is, I would argue, a surprise from the start of the season. The Falcons had a very, very bad start. The Panthers came out flying. We were very surprised at how how well the Panthers were performing. I know that they were actually one of your teams that you were quite interested to to watch this season, just from a pure kind of fascination point of view. But they've really gone on a slide now. Donald had a very tough game this week, uh, almost back to his days. Second game straight. Yeah, and almost back yeah. to the days of him seeing ghosts. You know, it looked bad. Mate, I'd say it was back to those days. It was it was that bad. Yeah. Um, Donald really played poorly. He's played poorly now since about week four. Yeah. And then you've got the Falcons, who Pitts has certainly become a lot more involved in their game plan now. Ridley scoring touchdowns again. They're a team that were throwing away wins at the beginning of the season, as Falcons teams in the past have done so many times before. But now they're starting to win those tough matchups and they're starting to do what's necessary to get over the line. They're a team that's at third and fourth in their division. So there's a battle here and it's an important game that both teams are really desperately going to want to win. That's right, Charles. It's a divisional game. With the way that these two teams are trending now and the way that, you know, let's be honest, the Bucks have got the NFC South tied up. I'd probably eat my hat if they don't win it all in the NFC South. So you take that out. You're playing for a wild card spot here. You need to be, you know, probably at the very least 9-8. and eight. You lose this game as the Panthers and you're going 3-4. and four. You lose this as the Falcons, you're going 3-5. and five. And then suddenly it's a very long hill back up to playoffs. As you mentioned, the Panthers have been trending in the wrong direction. We saw a very different version of Sam Darnold in the first few weeks. And this harks back to what we were saying about the Jets in terms of players playing better in other teams. We've seen Sam Darnold run with the ball, show some athleticism. Uh, I think that he was touchdown leader after the first three weeks. Is that correct? He had something like five touchdowns? He did, he did like have that? a lot. Yeah, I don't know, don't know if that made him the leader or not, but he was performing very well through the first three games of the season. 
I think that until kind of like Henry went King Henry mode and went crazy getting free a game, I think he may have been the touchdown leader after the first five games. It was some kind of stat like that. And then since kind of like week three, he's just like disappeared. He's just gone back to being Jets Darnold. You know, it's obviously not all his fault. He has a limited number of skill players to work with when McCaffrey's out. And a lot of this ties into McCaffrey not being there. But you kind of compare him to other players that are in the league. Davis Mills doesn't have skill players around him. He's a rookie. But he's still putting in better performances in recent weeks than Donald has. So you can't just blame it all on McCaffrey not being there, even though that is an important part of the Panthers' game plan. Falcons, like you say, big improvements. They've started to get into their stride a little bit. They're still not a great side. There's still issues. They still need to do better on the defensive side of the ball. They still need to manage games better. Matt Ryan, similar to kind of Ben Roethlisberger, he's been making the kind of bad judgment mistakes that veteran players shouldn't be making. And it's hard to really explain why he's been doing that, but just throwing interceptions that he shouldn't do. The Falcons won this week, but Ryan threw an interception, I think with about eight minutes left in the fourth quarter, where if they had just kept hold of a ball, if they had ran clock, they could have won that game a lot more comfortably. How's this game going to go? The Carolina Panthers, for all Donald's issues, are still a decent unit. They maybe don't look as impressive now since the first three games, now that they're playing tougher teams than the Jets. But you lose this, you're suddenly got a losing record in a division that you're not going to win at all, and you're probably not going to come second in it now because of your head-to-heads. Whichever team loses this, then they're switching from, hey, we've got a chance here to start thinking about next season. Yeah, completely agree, which is why I think it should be a very entertaining match because I think there's Absolutely. there's going to be a lot of ferocity involved in this of, of them just being hungry to win it. None of them are going to want to sit at the bottom of this division. There's going to be a real fight in that. And uh, as you pointed out, it's two teams that can make mistakes and it's two teams that can put up big scores but can easily let big scores go against them. So hopefully it's a high-octane, high-scoring game and we get to see some decent football, but it could equally be quite scrappy and quite hard-fought. So one to watch out for, I think. There's two things we need to see. We need to see Matt Ryan playing like a veteran leader, not doing silly things, not throwing interceptions when he doesn't need to throw interceptions. We need to see him manage the game right. He's got some good players around him, but they're all quite young and they're all looking for leadership. Matt Ryan needs to be top form. Then with the Panthers, we need to see Donald playing at least proficiently if McCaffrey's not on the field and not relying on that safety blanket of McCaffrey to A, be a decoy for his run game or to B, just make him feel comfortable as a quarterback. We need to see Sam Donald playing at the level he was in the first three games. Else, this won't be a close game. It won't be ferocious. If Donald's playing like he has been in the last few weeks, the Falcons won't have much to worry about. Yeah, until it gets into the fourth quarter of the game and they make a horrific blunder. A, a horrific blunder, as the Falcons are low to do. Yeah. Well, that's pretty much it for this week. So, uh, Joe, thank you as always for joining me and thank you to our listeners for tuning in and we'll catch you same time next week. Always a pleasure, Charles.